Welcome to another edition of the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. We found him, Rick. We know where Josh Tolley is at. He has escaped the upstate New York farm slash villa slash estate. Uh, he is in Port St. Lucie, Rick. We never know if this guy's going to come on the show because we text him and then all of a sudden he gets service. So we found you, uh, Josh Tolley. Ricky, he's alive. He's alive, dude. He's a, That's why when, when uh, we popped up our screens popped up i was like holy shit you're you're here you just never know where he is last two weeks ago he was out in the middle of the woods hunting uh didn't shoot a single thing um luckily he didn't shoot himself um and today he's a fantasy camp making those campers better <laughs> josh totally everybody hey. where are you totally? thank you guys thank you i'm in port st Lucie, florida at um at fantasy camp and uh I didn't shoot myself because I couldn't see myself because I had a ghillie suit on. You guys know the deal. Uh, yeah? All right. Now, we're doing good. I, hey, you guys have created a monster. I do live out in the country up on the hill, but my phone does work. I just don't hear from you guys that often. I'll put it right back in your court. We, we, oh, we text you all the time like, hey, what do we got? Who do we have? What's going on? International man of mystery, boys. Yeah. Like, and, uh, I'm like Houdini. And, and today's guest is going to really debunk a bunch of the Josh Tolley theories. Uh, John Buck <laughs> played in the major leagues for a long time out of Utah. John Buck also has his Behind the Dish podcast. Uh, you can listen to that. It's on sabbatical right now. But and, most and importantly, though. He was in the Josh Tolley uh, deal. Yes. From the Blue Jays uh, to the Mets. <laughs> yeah. The blockbuster, baby. We're not going to call it anything. For some reason, we were in the fine print. We were like down in the in the bottom corner, yeah. Josh. We were like had in throw in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we were actually them. the deal. Like we were the at the end. They were like, oh shit. Well, how can we make? We got to make this look better. How about you get Josh? We get John. We'll call it done. And they're like, fine. <laughs> so we it, we basically helped the deal go down. It was down to Josh. That's how it got done. Whoever, uh, got whoever done. all those other people were. Whoever they were, but they just didn't. They didn't trust. They didn't trust John Buck to catch to catch Ari Dickey. That's why. They just no, they knew my him. hands were too fast to catch that shit, and they're like, "Oh, Josh's <laughs> hands can handle it." <laughs> Brick hands back there. Two minutes in, it's already just ripping on Tolly. Uh, uh, Buck, you should have been here <laughs> oh when uh, we'll send you the link of uh, Troy Tulowitzki just ripping Tolly for forty-five minutes. <laughs> well, I feel like I mean I didn't. Play which it, I got the like the aura of Josh in the clubhouse in New York after he left, right? Because I moved in, you know, and then he moved out. He was still present, and I, he wasn't there, and they were making fun of him. <laughs> so I felt like when he'd come up to hit, I felt like, oh, this is green light, and I would start asking about some of the things I just heard, David or or uh, you know who. who I mean, the whole the whole pitching staff had something to say, so I felt like I knew him before I knew him. <laughs> <laughs> the legend so continues. I feel like Josh, he, you know, he's a, he's he's that type of catcher who just likes making people better around him. If you need to cut on him to make yourself better, he's that confident in himself. We love that him. We love him. That's why we brought him onto the podcast. <laughs> uh, John Buck played for the Royals, the Blue Jays, a 2010 All Star, the Florida slash Miami Marlins. Get it right when they're in transition. The New York Mets, <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirates, Mariners, and finish up with the Angels, and he's now living in Utah. That's why I brought on my Utah Ute shirt. You know, got to represent. There you go. Yeah, I bring out whatever. It was better last game. 
Yeah, the, the, the swap me behind me has something for everybody, so we'll be all right. <laughs> We're here. Now, Rick, let's start with you, though. How did you meet John Buck? Well, he was my catcher in 2010, right after my rookie year. I don't know. I don't know if we faced each other. Um, obviously, we don't have our intern here to find that out for us. But I don't. I don't. I don't think we did. I. I, I mean, 2009 is too long ago. 12 years ago. But uh, 2010, he came in as uh, one of our catchers, um, and actually our main catcher. It was him and Jose Molina. What is was his backup and. Um, we just we hit it off, man. We hit it off quick. And uh, to me, I always say he was very influential in my career, especially in 2010, because I was still trying to find myself. I had had a decent uh, rookie year, but in 2010, it's where I, where I think I came into my own. We had lost uh, Roy Halladay to the Phillies that year, um, and I kind of started to transition into that role of uh, you know being one of the top line starters in that rotation and um and dude 2010 we had some good games together like we 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 honestly I, I just grew as a pitcher and and you know when you have a big ass target like him it just you know it was hard it was it was easy it made it made it easy for me you know i always had a good relationship with 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 all my catchers but i think uh you know having john back there it was uh it, it just helped my career that much better for the following year in 2011 which is a career year for me um but um yeah, man, we, we we just hit it off from the get go. I think he saw, you know, the guy today was uh, trying to log in at eight a.m. and it just shows you who he was. Like that's who that's who he is. The guy was never going to be late. He was always there early, trying to watch film. This that's the cool thing that that nobody ever sees the behind the doors, uh, what the closed doors, the work that gets put in before a game just to come up with a game plan. He's in there watching tape, hitting whatever it is to get ready. But I think more importantly, these, especially catchers in the big leagues, they take it so serious and, and they, <clears throat> they care so much about their rotation that they're going to make it to where it's easy for you to go out there and say, okay, just trust me and, and go off of me and, and, and we'll, we'll do that. And uh, dude, it, it was awesome. You know, we, we great teammate and, and yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's good games together and it kind of evolved into that next season. Yeah, I, I remember when I came on to it I, with Ricky. It was he, he just he's had he had some experience of and knowing what was working for him and what wasn't. And like you said, he was throwing. But I think when I came on, you know, having all those years with Zach and uh, Daryl May and all these people learning how to call a game, I was I understood how to call a game and what the league was at the same time. Ricky was now understanding himself his strengths and where we could game plan together where we kind of be identified ourselves in the league together Got myself get becoming an all-star and then himself going on to all the awesome things he did and leading that organization i think it was i was getting him right as he was ready to say i believe in myself i just got to be the catcher that i think whether it was josh or or whoever he threw to or uh, jp I think they continue because they're good catchers. They continue to pull that out of them. But I, I think I was, I was there when Ricky was very impressionable and and like the leader he is. I think he just took it, and that's why he, he just ruined people's day for a living <laughs> <laughs> with that with that changeup. He started buying into that. Like, yeah, this is like Bug Bunny. No one can touch it. And when it, I remember and, him, and, kind of being convinced, but when he 
believed in it and you're looking at the guy's eyes in that moment and he's like yeah let's do that and you're like yep no one's stopping him i got to see that you know front front seat on the mound so uh when the guy gets that it's you know as a catcher it, it's fun I, I enjoy that part of it and that's why you do all the work and to see ricky kind of take a hold of that. i think that's why we're i guess bonded because whether i seen him or uh later in our careers whether we we're having challenges or whatever it was like that friendship we tapped into it wasn't like hey your mechanics you get, get, get. it was hey how's your nug how's your nugget doing how are you feeling and that's you know i feel like that's what really pulled us out what connected us is that learned to buy into each other and i and i think and and you know we have two catchers here i think um and Josh and I probably broke into the big leagues around the same time. But one of the things that I always noticed for veteran guys, guys that had been there, guys that are that that <clears throat> knew what it took is they always respected you if you came in and worked. And hmm. they always had a chapped ass if you were fucking around, if you weren't coming in and, and doing the stuff that you guys were supposed to be doing as a young kid, you know, as a young rookie. And I think that's where that's where I feel like for me as a young kid in 2009, 2010 in the big leagues showing that I, that I was willing to put in, put in the work and, and get better. I think that's what these guys respected so much. And that's why they were willing to be like, all right, this guy's getting after it. I got to get after it with him too, in the sense of game planning, whatever it is, make him successful on every fifth day. And, and, and I, and I felt that to be a huge key of it, you know, a key of, of everything that kind of led on to that. Man, see, Bucky, normally the podcast who, job, who? we, uh, normally we get into it, start doing like, just messing around, but it's always interesting to hear how guys connect. Like you know, with Ricky coming up as a younger guy, you as you said, you just wanted to, you saw it, but he didn't have it quite yet mentally to let let it go. And then mm-hmm. our, our our partner right here this is what I love talking about Tolly on the podcast because Tolly brings this catcher's perspective. That first of all, you guys are crazy to even be a catcher in the major leagues because you're absolutely fucking crazy to put on gear and oh let me throw a thousand mile out fastball at you or in josh's case here's ra dickey bouncing things that don't even move around you like what's wrong with you guys first of all and then second of all totally it seems like you and buck might have been like the kindred spirit about work hard get in there do the work and just be a leader for that yeah i, I yeah first off 95 percent of catchers are that like uh let there be a few that don't like that but it, I believe it's all how we were brought up. So for me, like Brian Schneider was very instrumental bringing me up, right? I was the player. I acted how I acted because of Brian Schneider. Who was that guy for you, Buck? Uh, it was Brad Osmus. Uh, Brad Osmus was always a guy in Houston. And I remember having him as, as kind of that mentor to where I would see Clemens or Pettit or those guys in Houston when I was in camp, how they would – listen to him and how he would project himself and the, and the the perception he was given off i saw roger clemens react like whoa that became his reality and because of that respect that they had for him and and that was obviously because of the smart person he was calling a game and and the student even though he would say that he wasn't through the game there's i don't know if there's anybody smarter so that's that just shows you that he just kind of did this really smart on the side because he's that smart but uh I guess if you go to Dartmouth, you gotta. Yeah. You can't be dumb. Can't, like <laughs> I really got recess, at, at recess, they do uh, math problems. I think, so. <laughs> yeah, don't take that bait. <laughs> yeah, it's always the smart guys that try to act like they're not that smart, huh? 
<laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So it, it, I, that was that was kind of my my mentor, and then I had Greg Zahn, who was oh. kind of the opposite, very racy, but but people responded to that to where he came into camp, and I remember he had this loud boombox, and he had Biggio, Bagwell, Clemens, Pettit, and it was very quiet, and then Zahn brought this come popping out to the half field with this boom box and everybody looking like what the heck is going on but i also saw how that worked and how how uh uh brett brad just made that work that was his role and, and they embraced it so i was able to see a very veteran group at a very young age and how it clicked and worked together uh and seeing that team that was going for the playoff unfortunately being the one that was traded for beltron later but I knew going into camp that was special and unique and to be around that a very professional age as you're kind of 40 man ish that I mean that that leaves a mark as you can imagine as a catcher and so he's he's always been Absolutely. someone I've always yeah. looked up to that's what I mean I, and this is we talk about it a lot on the podcast is like leadership like camaraderie that's what we do best right like I always say you run the clubhouse you run the airplane that's just that's just who I was by nature I was and it was all a byproduct of the guys behind me that, that had kind of come in. So that's, yeah. that's how it was. You're laughing at bus trips, weren't you, Richard? <laughs> 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 and moving on. And so uh, we do have – so normally we have an intern named Graham, who, by the way, is at the University of Oregon. Uh, I believe that's what – Buck's like, would you guys have an intern? Yeah, some kid we found who – He's a journalist. I got one major. of those in New York. Dog yes. Stud. I got one of those. Good kid. Like, what, but, you think I'm doing it? You think I'm getting this stuff? Let's be honest. Let's, this kid is a madman. Yeah. So Graham's not available today because he's busy writing for Sports Illustrated at the University of Oregon. But we do have our friend, the Green Eye Bandit, who uh, is researching for us, watching us right now. And we have the update. Ricky against uh, Buck. Look at that. Okay. Three. Oh, he just scared of me once. What is looks like a lot of balls. Looks like a lot of balls thrown right there. That's all I know. Like no official at bats. Man, uh, that's just yeah, afraid. 2012, three like, plate appearances, two official at bats. Ricky walked him once, and he must have been just scared out of his mind that day. No, uh, what it was is like I've seen that ball doesn't ever go straight. I don't have it. He doesn't throw it in the loop, and if it is, it's in and out. So that that doesn't work out. So I probably just did the Lyle Overbay and just stood there. Is probably what happened. <laughs> I've caught this guy enough. I'm gonna roll the dice three times. I'll get on once, and it works. That's that percentage. But here's a here's a dumb question, because you caught him before. When you go up to bat, does it help? Well, that's what I just told you. Yeah. No. But like that was it's probably really my. I know for a fact I had one approach on that for sure with him, just because catch it was hard to catch him. His ball doesn't go straight. Like his ball, his fastball, right, Josh? It, no. It, 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 and I think Ricky got behind the ball so well. That's why his changeup moved so well. That's why his stuff was so sharp. He got his whole body behind the ball. So if he was kind of to the side a little bit, that ball would take a left on you in a hurry. You're like, hey, uh, Ricky, I thought it was too soon, man. I thought that was, it can't go 94 the wrong way, and he would routinely do that. So, hey, hey uh, funny story. Funny story, Beto. Funny story. So, 2010. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Him and Molina are catching me. They're catching me. And through two weeks into the season, I had 
12 pass balls. Oh. Or 12 wild pitches. 12 wild pitches. Yeah, wild pitches. That's right. Yeah, yeah there, there's Thank no pass you, balls on this show. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, they're all wild Josh. pitches. 12 wild yeah, we know pitches. what those look like from Ricky. You're thinking down and away. He throws that shit, cut her down and in. <laughs> like I was just saying. And then it's like, John, where are you a runner on third? Yeah. He was and supposed to throw a sinker down and away, coach. And he, Tommy Tucker went over here. <laughs> no, no, Sorry, no, no. I got my glove on it. Hey, I'm telling you, two weeks in, 12 wild pitches. And I remember John came up to me and he was like, Rick, fuck, man. We're going to get this shit right. And I think I ended the season with like 14. Oh. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's to connection. We, we got locked. <laughs> yeah, dude. But, well, hey, Bucky, I had, I had 14 in one game with Ricky in AAA. <laughs> <laughs> I See, that's when he was. That's that. That's when you're trying to figure that out. It's cutting and diving and sinking and swimming. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's it not normal. Catching knuckleballs in my sleep. If they, oh, if it was they, not normal. No joke. Yeah, they it's ninety-four. He doesn't. His shake yes is like. I hope so. That's what I feel like. He said, "Yeah, I hope." And then I was like, "Shit, all right." He didn't look that confident, but I'll hear. I'll guard in this area of the plate. Wow! <laughs> because it was it would it would go off people's hips, and people would dive out of the way, and then you're. That's when he had it really going, and where I think he really, when Ricky was on, he knew which way it was breaking, which way, but it was so. It was so hard and sharp that if it, it wasn't, it was – that's why you see so many silly swings and misses because the amount of movement. Mm. And it's just really tough if you're thinking break right and it goes left, though. Right, Josh? Okay. Can I do yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm with you, dude. I'm having deja vu right now. I'm glad I wasn't the only one, man. Holy <laughs> My shit. feel sweaty right now. Yeah. Man. This is like that, therapy uh, session sure. for catchers today. See the post dramatic yeah. stress you give all your catchers? You son of a bitch. <laughs> good thing, good thing when we were rolling when we were rolling you were in and out of there but if shit was going awry buckle up See, Ricky doesn't realize that this is an intervention it's a chance for him to apologize all his catchers Jose Molina JP everybody's coming in right now we're, we're going to have a big intervention yeah man I'm sorry guys but you guys kept the therapy <laughs> session we made, we'll name this podcast therapy catchers <laughs> therapy Ricky Rose show <laughs> But did you, we started that game? Um, you did, I think you did start that game against the White Sox where we almost threw a no hitter where Alex Rios what yeah. took me deep, yeah. yeah. And I remember, um, and we brought him up before you came on on air, uh, Buck, uh, Mark Tian, and how that night <laughs> he said I I destroyed his career that night after that game because I saw him a few days later. He's like, Bro, you destroyed my career that like lefty, we were throwing lefty on lefty changeup, Beto, and that's really rare. But we had it yeah. working that way because you really never really throw a lefty lefty changeup. You're usually working the corners and breaking ball. But dude, John Buck and he's good friends with Mark Tian. He must have called like twelve changeups against him, and he kept swinging <laughs> over that shit. <laughs> Man, like, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> See, the thing is, the conversation I had going on with Mark, it was like some bitch, Buck. Like, come on, come on, and I'm like, you got at least act like you're gonna hit one or take it good you can't keep doing this because it was it was i just knew mark on normal left on left he he's the man he goes left field he goes left field he's so good so i'm like all right mark's yeah he's a left-handed hitter 
but I just knowing him, talking with him, because he's a good friend, he goes, I just feel like well, how you get me out, and I just remember this, how you get me out is like a right-handed hitter. So I'm like, perfect, I got Ricky. He's really good against right-handed hitters. Let's go <laughs> against his right-handed. And he couldn't hit that out pitch. So we just change up, change up, change up. <laughs> but like I said, it's like a wuffle ball change up. So there's going to be some guys matter. coming and in here. Like... It, it never does the same thing twice. So it wasn't like, <laughs> even though I should through 12, I'm sure five of them look like cutters. Oh, yeah, dude. Some of them cut, some of them fuck right down the middle, and other ones sink down and in to them. Yeah, it was. And then at the end, I think hey, I remember. Josh, Go ahead. Josh, let me ask you when you called it, do you. Did you just in your mind, body, like it? I felt more like a split finger. Is that how you kind of yeah. would try to attack? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know if he was going to pull it or, yeah. That's right. I would set up like kind of like of them a little bit more to have that, like yeah. to have that. I had the shape in my mind. I love left on left changeups. That was one of my yeah. favorite pitches to call when um, Dan Worthen actually got that, uh, got me on that. That's the only. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 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 right. I'll leave it there. Um, but yes, I did visualize it a lot. That's a whole other podcast, right there. This, that is, road. this is the yeah. joke, the the roast of Ricky Romero coming up right here. It's coming up now. Oh, here's a, here's a message right here. Uh, Eric Camargo, no joke. Everybody was afraid to warm up with Ricky in high school too. You just hope it hit your glove. Yeah, this this guy must have caught you. Is that guy yeah. one of your catchers? His buddy in high school. I, I could hear, uh, I could hear the fear in his voice. Yeah, it sounds like he, the way he wrote that. I can just sense that he was like a bullpen, maybe a lower classman that was like told to go down. He's like, grab the shit, now, making me catch him again for sure. That's who that guy was. Well, Buck, I got my own trauma yeah. stories. You know, what? everybody pile on here. Let's all pile on Ricky now. I got my own trauma <laughs> stories because when Ricky was in the final year of trying to come back after his surgeries. His throwing partner, because, you know, you go from being an all-star, you have everybody, you have all facilities. You're at the end of your career. You know who you're throwing with? The, the, this guy. <laughs> the leftovers. The leftovers. You know, softball <laughs> all-star over here. And I'm like, yeah, I can play catch with you. Fuck. So we're playing at a football field, playing long toss. I'm like, yeah, long toss, no problem. And all of a sudden, 90 feet away, boom. I'm like, what the fuck? And then, okay. I had to go buy a new glove and everything else. And it was, then he would like. He wasn't throwing a bullpen, but just like from, you know, dry. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is spinning here. And I'm like, Rick, you go to these tryouts, they're going to want you, bro. The ball's spinning like nothing. And I'm a sports reporter for a reason because I shouldn't be catching this shit, right? But, no, there's a couple ones that bounce into the shin. And, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, know, I understand what you're talking about. The way the oh, – yeah, yeah. See? I'm right there, too. <laughs> see, no, pick, see, I no, think no, when, when, it, it, helps you, it helps you realize, like, I think you get a lot of these because – of course, you're going into daddy ball here soon, shortly, Ricky, being a father. Yeah. Uh, and having these dads scream, yell at their kids, I think I – me and Josh did a disservice to the world. We made it look so easy catching this guy. <laughs> every dad thinks their kids should catch like this. And then to, to, to get some perspective, like you had uh, the opportunity with Ricky – Having a major league arm throw a ball to you, whether they no. make that move, being able to have the accuracy uh, with Ricky having the movement with the power, the heaviness behind it, you see why they're that one percenter. Mm -hmm. Like just playing cat, it's different. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then to throw to catch that and move it and do some, you know, 
it, you don't realize how much skill and, and the level of where Ricky's arm is without like, a doubt. until you play catch and you can, and you can tell that. So it's a treat to be able to like put a game plan together and yeah. do that. You know, all joking side, like Ricky developed some tools with that work ethic and he had some good mentors and holiday before is where all that was done. Cause I would be in the gym and doing my game plan and more than any probably other pitcher uh, that came to me was Ricky was constant. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, how he wanted to go about it. And, and his, his confidence behind his game grew from his game plans. And I, and I couldn't help but think again, somebody that's left their presence in the locker room. I think every locker room he's been in his holiday, not being around him, not being his teammate, just in clubhouses he's been in after he's come through, uh, the product, the byproduct of that is, I think one of them at the top of the list is Ricky. So it's no. that special arm being developed. I think you get to see why, you know, it is that 1% arm. So with that work ethic. You know what? I, and it's, and it's funny because we, you know, we met, you, you talk about Brad Allison. And the, when I walked into the, into big league camp, my first time, first, first time 2006. And I knew obviously I wasn't making the team. It was one of those, First round, we're gonna invite him to camp. But just watching Doc Halliday, it made me like think, like put myself in those shoes and say, I want to be in here one day next to him because I see the way he goes about it. And obviously, he was, you know, but he was on another level as far as standards, you know, because he just he was he's he's part of that, you know, whatever point, whatever percent that the Hall of Fame, obviously unicorn status. Yeah, unicorn. like you know, but. But I remember walking to that clubhouse and just seeing, like, you know, him, A.J. Burnett, um, Greg Zahn, Benji Molina, and being around. So, And I'll go, and it's probably, this is probably an old school name, but James Baldwin was, like, right next to me, yeah. a locker mate. And just seeing him, talking to him, uh, Scott Schoenweis, all those, like, dude, just a, such a veteran group that it was just, like, it was intimidating. But at the same time, it was like, okay, I, I see the way they go about it. Um, even uh, crazy ass Ben Weber. I don't know if you remember oh, him. Wow, uh, <laughs> two thousand two World Series champion Ben Weber. Get it right. And but just like them taking me under their wing and talking to me and me, you know, because you know how it is sometimes when you're a younger guy and you get or or older veteran guy and you get that younger guy that comes in and just thinks he's the shit and he's running the clubhouse and it's like whoa 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 like like slow it down here a little bit. Um, Go get in the restroom. Yeah. Bus. Go get Buck, the rest Buck, of the sun. Buck wasn't scared to call out like like guys, you know. He he let you know right away, like what the fuck? Like let's we're we we're, we're trying to accomplish something here, not to be an asshole or anything, but hey, get the point, you know, you don't come in here and run shit. Um and um I remember as a young 2006 uh invitee, I was like, dude, I was like, all right, I'm just I just want to absorb as much as I can so that when I get invited again, I know what to do. And, and that's kind of that year kind of helped me just watching those guys, watching Doc, watching, um, you know, all those showing wise and and guys like that uh, to, to kind of be ready for that for that time. Because I didn't see Big League Camp till 2008, which was like two years later. You totally young guys walk in there acting like that in New York. Yeah, uh, especially now. Especially now, it's way different than it used to be, right? Like, you sat in your locker forward, and you didn't say a damn word. Now, it's no. just a free-for-all. You're not even allowed to say anything, and 
and and you can't be like Buck used to be, right? Go get on their ass. And they go tell the front office, they tell their agent, tells the front office. Really? It's a fucking, absolutely. It's that part of the game, that's what's frustrating about the game now, in my mind, is that piece of it. Like, that's how you learn. That's how you learn to do the right thing. That's how I learned to go to the national anthem. I never knew that. I was a young kid. I was 22. I had no clue what to do. And I'm sitting in the locker room with Gary Sheffield while the anthem's going on in Colorado. I'm just fucking hanging out, sitting in my locker. Got blown up for it. If nobody <laughs> fucking blew me up, I wouldn't have known any different. Wait, now it did, doesn't even matter. You didn't know you're supposed yeah. to be on the field for the national anthem? No, they have an early it's very, anthem. It's a very, in Den- remember, in catchers, we got a lot of stuff going on, bro. Let me step in here for you, <laughs> yeah. Josh. He's, you know, yeah. he's working with the manager. He's got the field <laughs> coach coming at him. It was yeah, his first we, time. We get to the line a little late. Sorry, we were back taking ball, foul balls off the wiener. You know, maybe you're yeah. icing that. Maybe we maybe we didn't get out to the line. But when you're ready, you ice that wiener later. You get out on that. Yeah, yeah you can you ice do. it later. Yeah, that's right. No, I fucked up. There's, I yeah, fucked there's up, a pecking order you just got to know. Yeah. All right, all yeah, right. Not, a, not anymore. Wait, see, but I think, I think, more, I think more, a lot more, of that I'll, creates I'll culture, though. I'll say this for, for a listener. Okay. They, 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 if a veteran guy got on you, it was for 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 the right reason. Yeah, of and course. It was because at Absolutely. the end of the day, he put his arm around you and say, "Hey, <clears throat> why I did that?" and explain it to you. Yeah, you know, yes, you run into some assholes here and there every once in a while. You learn to deal with those guys, but the the veteran, real leadership guys would get on you, but at the same time, be like, "Hey, you, you understand why I did that?" And and hey, let's go have let's go. I'll take you out to dinner. I'll take you out for beer. Whatever. You know okay. that that that's me is what makes a clubhouse and that's what it was all about and 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 a guy like john buck understood that you know he just wasn't going to be an asshole and then sit back and and let you keep fucking up again that's that yeah. to me is a leader you know because you're just like dude the guy doesn't know like come on like explain it to him but a lot of the veteran guys they they uh, that i dealt with would explain to you okay. what you did wrong you know that's what it should be and, I, and to me when i did that like whenever i do the bus skits <laughs> you know you have the bus time or whatever to me that's that was a time because nobody else is in there. It's a it's a time where players can be vulnerable. Where we can make fun of the things that you just threw the ball out in the fourth row, right? Lost the game for us, and then we're, the whole team's laughing with you about it. Just kind of saying, "We don't care. Like we're in this with you. Let's let's make fun of it, have fun with it, and keep going." I feel like that chemistry is that that being able to get on each other and laugh with them is what makes it a real team unit. Cause 162 games, 180 days, you're going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be terrible. You better be able yeah. to laugh about it or you're going to go crazy. You know, yeah. so make, fun, well get make fun of yourself. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. Exactly. You have to, you have to make fun of yourself in this game. Yeah. Now, Buck, you grew I up in it, Utah, Taylorsville, Utah. You yeah. get drafted out of high school. Um, what was like your First experience in the big leagues. How did you get the big league call? Like, hey, you're coming to the show. I was in uh, AAA with the Astros. Auburn needed – no, no, not Auburn. It was New Orleans. New Orleans Zephyrs. I don't know why I said Auburn. New Orleans Zephyrs. We were playing the Omaha Royals at the time, and that's who I got traded to. We were kind of in a rain delay. Shocker, New Orleans rain delay. Sure. And our traditional rain delay, right? And so yeah. – we're in there, the trades, you know, how the trade deadline stuff's going. And at the time I was kind of the 
talk of the Astros, the, the number one prospect then, but there was this Oakland and talk of Beltron going there. And next thing you know, like the trade's been done. We're all sitting on the couch and everybody kind of looks at me. And then two seconds later, uh, Mahoney comes in there and said, Hey, Bull, God talk with you. <laughs> so I walked in there. Tim Papura called me, told me they had traded me. Uh, then about five minutes later, Allard Baird called, told me that I was going to, uh, and they needed me in Kansas City. They had the I-70 series going. So next morning, what's the flight? Uh, was on the flight with David DeJesus, who later became his best man in his wedding. Uh, and then we get there. My first at-bat, wow right down the line and I started as I started down the line I kind of went out to round the base but like yesterday they didn't have those freaks out there stealing hits called Scott Rowland (laughs) dives from his knees from his tummy and he just throws it like that I'm got to wind back into the line and then go through and so I get done, I feel like a horse's ass. So I go down there. And Tony Pena was like my – like you know, I had Brad Osmus as a player, and then Tony Pena was more like a father figure. Coming out of high school, his son, uh, Frankie, I remember catching bullpens with him. He'd come grab me and goes, you, every morning at 5 a.m., I was out there catching balls before big league camp got there. And he was somebody who just kind of taught me that self-discipline too, and, and not only taught me – held my hand through it. Well, he w- I think it was a big part of getting me over to Kansas City. He was managing at the time. He was at the front step waiting to where lay into me, like, where are you going, Buck? Where are you going? As Tony Pena, as you can imagine him saying, with Matt Stairs and uh, Graffinino, Sullivan. And uh, I walked down and they're like, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, dude, yesterday that was a double. I don't know who these <laughs> assholes are out here i'm rounding bases yesterday in new orleans do you think i'm weird like that and so i i kind of i won stairs over with that comment because i i hadn't talked to anybody i was pretty quiet you know bc not heard and so that was my first comment so it helped me to win favor in the clubhouse Dude, there. your like, first you guys, like, i'm the weird one yeah your major league debut you go up against matt morris who was dealing at that time he went eight strong and you're catching that grinky now yeah. I covered Granky a little bit when he was at the Dodgers. Oh, that must have been fun. Hey, Rook, here's Zach Granky yeah. in front of you. Yeah, we got our ass kicked together. That's why he's so good. <laughs> we 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 learned a lot of not what to do that year. You um, you got him. You, yeah, you caught his second year. I think we were the youngest. What did you cut? Did you catch his second young year? Uh, so I started the first half catching it. And then he went to Molina, and here's, here's a Zach comment, because I would do all his game planning. He to wanted Molina. me to do all his no, – sorry, Oliva. Miguel Oliva. Oliva. Miguel Oliva. Oliva. So he goes – he would make me do all his game planning and everything because he wanted to call his own game. And he said, I feel like I've made Zach real, like, calm. He, he pulled me aside and he's like, John – and it, I know that he really meant this because he wouldn't tell anybody else. This. So I, I, I feel very, it feels good. So he comes and he goes, John, I, I don't know if I want you catching me anymore. 
I think you're too smart, and I second guess everything I want to call, but I still want to be in the game plan. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Zach. Uh, I was like, you know, this feels kind of, and he gave me a coin, like a lucky coin, and I still have it. It's in my closet. Yeah, I have it. Now I got to bring it out. And it's this lucky, I don't know, has like, I don't know, Japanese writing on it or something. And it's like a lucky coin. I still got it on the shoelace. The day he told me he didn't want me to catch him because I was too smart. I made him guess himself. <laughs> right? And I took it as the utmost compliment. I And it, and so from about the beginning of that season, I, I, I didn't – I helped him game plan. I had to be there waiting for him. <clears throat> I would show up to the field – which I which was great. I got a you know a good uh, massage and recovery routine out of it because it it made it so it every day that was my day off. I had Zach off that year, yeah. so he was twenty year old I, Zach. I was very instrumental. It was behind the dish stuff that Dolly Josh and I can appreciate, and yeah. Miguel, and so bitch better appreciate it. But yeah. we he does. He, yeah. We know Miggy. He loves me. So, but I think because of that. So you made Zach Grinky. I don't know. No, I think Zach Rinky made Zach Rinky. I don't know. You're too smart. You're too smart for me. Hey, do, do, now, I don't want any part of making any part of what that person is. If I could be his friend, I'll take I'll take some of that. <laughs> that man created everything he is on his own. Yeah, I'm he's just glad uh, to be a and he's still dealing. Footnote. So you had him his rookie year. He was 20 years old, uh, and he's yeah. now dealing at still 37 years old with the uh, Houston Astros. So. Yeah, I remember those two. And I remember, I remember when we went to Kansas City, uh, and he was obviously the, the favorite for the Cy Young. And that, that's the week that he came out on Sports Illustrated, and he didn't want his face on it because obviously yeah. he, he has dealt with so anxiety. anxiety yeah. Yeah. And and I remember it was just the back. You know, it was like the back of his the, – the front cover was just his back with his last name, obviously. And I remember I faced him that week, and I was so, so pumped, dude. I beat, I beat his ass, though. I got him. <laughs> <laughs> I got him. Because Granky, he, remember, he signed that deal with the Angels, or he was with the Angels. He got traded. And in the Angels clubhouse, you know, I remember I told you, Rick, there's like four reporters, right? It's the easiest clubhouse to play in. You can hide in Anaheim. Nobody cares. You're good. It was perfect for him. And then the next year, it, we're at Dodgers because I covered both teams. And he walks in there, and everybody's in there. And that's before the renovation, so the clubhouse is really terrible. And he walks in there, and he, you just see him look. He peeked out once. Turn right back around. It was like, oh, okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. Isn't there that? Yeah. Is, isn't it? Isn't there that clip where he, uh, like, Doc is giving a a speech, and then all of a sudden he raises his hand and he says, uh, "Make sure everyone gra- uh, washes their hands." Yeah. I saw somebody go grab the grapes after <laughs> or some shit like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Taking a number of two, right? Yeah. He's like, uh, "Do you have anything to that say?" Was, you know, leader in the clubhouse, and he's like, "Yeah, make sure you guys wash your hands." Like he's. Yeah. No, but it, that was but it's, not- it's said. It's said in the most like. Yes. Uh, yeah, like the guy grabbing the, uh, my stapler. Um, yeah, if you could grab my stapler, can you please wash your hands? I don't appreciate it. And everybody is like, is that being serious? Is he joking? I like that. He's great. serious, but he'll laugh it off like he's joking after he sees the clubhouse go nuts. Yeah. He is I a very it. funny, witty person. Yeah, I, I like yeah. it. Uh, did, now, did, did Frankie get you anything for winning the Cy Young? Oh, no, I I think that that's I think that's Olivo's territory. He got him. He got no, him on I, the side. I, I, I got a coin. I got a lucky coin, bro. 
that? Right. What do you want? Oliva, by the way, great. Oliva almost beat me up in, tri in AAA my last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just be thank goodness you have your ears. Apparently, they bit someone's ear off too. Yeah. All right. Now, Josh Tolley is at Fantasy <laughs> Camp in Florida right now. You know, his whole life is a fantasy camp, as he said in Seinfeld. Now, Tolly, you got to go. What do you have to do right now instead of talking to go, Buck? I got to go win another fucking ball game. Bucky, I'm going to get your number. We'll finish this conversation Wait, between you and I. I Tolly, are you really managing right, the team? I love it. Yeah, yeah I manage a team. We're fucking – we what's, what's your record? We're one and one this week. Last week we got fucking throttled, didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> and every team makes the playoffs but two, and we were one of them. This week <laughs> – this week we're one and one. Uh, we just won. Okay. We just won three hour and ten minute game, and we just won on a walk off. So I have an hour break now. Another two o'clock game, and Was I got to get the scorecard. Walk off or a waddle off? <laughs> it was a waddle off, but we did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Are so, you uh, you hey. using analytics? You have the shift going on, all that good stuff. Fuck no. no we do this <laughs> shit with our eyes. Me and Pete Shirk, baby. All right, Tony. We'll talk to you in a couple all weeks right. when you answer your phone. Thanks, guys. Bucky, good to see you. Sorry, I got to run. See you, bud. Yeah, this dude. Yeah. This dude. We just love harassing him. We yeah. love harassing him because he really does live on a farm, and we have no idea where he what he does. And we text him on a Thursday. He'll answer on Tuesday morning. Hey, guys, what do we got? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's a beauty. Yeah, he is. Uh, um, so we asked this question a lot. Uh, Buck. So you get there. What was it like when you walked into the clubhouse and you saw your jersey, first major league debut? Um, it's pretty dope. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. A backstory to that is I remember my uncle played uh, football at Nebraska. And we went to Iowa when I was younger. I was 10 years old, 10U AAU tournament. And we went past I-70, and I remember looking down there. And the time my uncles gave me this, there's uh, tapes that the football team was listening to, the psycho-cybernetics. And, and it's about how you visualize and put yourself in the stadium, put yourself – and we drove past, and I remember looking down in Kauffman Stadium and, and told my dad, I'm going to play there someday. And I remember my dad, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, prove it. And I remember him looking at me, and it wasn't like a – yeah, go ahead, Dad. It was my dad calling me out for the first night. I felt like, as a man, I was like, what? He was like, prove it. Show me. What are you going to do today? And it became this thing. So it, as I'm going to that jersey, it was like a flood of like, all right, I'm about, I'm about to prove it. Wow. Like that feeling of like every from you know, 11 all the way, all those skipping the – just doing baseball stuff and being engulfed and obsessed with it. I'm about to prove it. And with, you know, this, hopefully this whole other life at the, you know, the start of it, you know, with our other part of our dreams and knowing, dude, I just got to set some goals and it could happen. As soon as I put this Jersey on, that's what it felt like. But does that make sense? There's no Heck real yeah. way, but it was that wow. I had more of a feeling. You were yeah. like eight, nine years old. I was I was ten at the ten. time when I when I got those video that you know and it was it was something that you know I, I applied it to gymnastics or whatever I did but it was baseball you know it's just it was it's in the back of your heart right that's just part of who I am and 
I did a lot of other stuff in preparation to become a baseball player, whether gymnastics, skiing, BMX, you know, whatever we do in life. And it felt like the center of that was always baseball. And to have that jersey in a Royals uniform with all that mental work that I did with my uncle, like he was in Nebraska and all this, you know, all this Harvey Dorfman stuff, like it was all in my mind in a Royals uniform. Wow. And for it to be happening, it like the picture that I would play in my head would be a Royals uniform. I wasn't from Kansas City. I wasn't a huge fan of George Brett. It was just, it was that moment saying I was going to do that and picturing myself in that beautiful stadium uh, made me always aware of what was the Royals going on. Not, not thinking I was going to play for the Royals, just very innocently visualizing myself in that uniform. And then it, to be like, that uniform to take the field it was very so real it's like holy cow my dream's happening right now it's it's hard to explain i mean i don't know now buck when you get traded to toronto um uh-huh. were you wasn't like... traded i wasn't signed so oh, that's right. i was I, my only comparable would have been home runs to that point that came into the big leagues and started right away was pudge rodriguez and the Royals were like, um, no, you're not worth as much as Pudge. <laughs> so, which I didn't blame him at the time. And luckily, Dayton Moore was awesome. This is, I think, he's a player's GM. Is like he was able to explain that to me, but I left there very feeling very confident of whatever team was getting a front line. It wasn't like I wasn't. I didn't leave there being felt like some players do through arbitration that you're just not worth it. You're not going to be worth the money. You know, and they can digress. Um, Dayton left me feeling very empowered, like, dude, I just need one more chance. And then to yeah. come around Toronto in the, the lineup I did, it was, I don't know, it felt like the perfect storm as a player for me. Uh, what, when you go to Toronto, though, were you like, um, you know, obviously, you talk to most athletes or most guys that have played there, they're like, yeah, man, it's, you know, you're going to a different country, you're using different money. You're, you got to go through customs. That's, I think that's the number one thing that everyone says, ah, oh, the customs. Obviously, I always say it's not as bad as you think it is. Obviously, we get a little bit catered to us. But were you – was Toronto the only team that kind of showed the interest or did it come down to two teams? And and and, and what made you choose Toronto? Um, Other I than think, me. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it was mainly you, uh, which you, you, were, you were a big part of it, actually. Um, in that decision, like where I said, it felt like the perfect storm. It was like that veteran offense where I was a better hitter around good hitters. Does that make sense? I could, it narrowed down what they would do to me. Cause if people are a little more aggressive towards me as a hitter, I know I'm better. That's just me knowing baseball and having to call a spade a spade. Now, if, if I was that guy to be like a lot of the young teams, I was good to where they wanted me to be that middle of the lineup guy. I just couldn't be the hitter, like a David who was a good hitter. It just, I don't know, my skill level, I just wasn't that unicorn. I had the skills, but to hold it for long periods of time, it wasn't that, right? So around me, I knew, I knew that it was that. You know, I knew it was going to be a good fit, you know, 20 home runs later and me to be, have the year I did. I think that's evidence of that. But – what I was really attracted to was the young pitching staff, um, you know, with the ability to kind of take over. Like, Cito was just like, we need a guy, a veteran guy to come here and, and take over the staff. And what 
me, you know, the reputation I had in, with Bob McClure, how he helped me with all Ted Simmons game calling strategies. You know, I pride myself on being that Brad Osmus, right? And knowing how to call a game and control that. I felt like I had a skill set that just matched up well with guys. And, and you being one of those people wanting to do it and then making a very, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the show. That was by design. I felt like, you know, seeing you from the, it was this young kid that as soon as he bought into himself, he's going to be an all-star. Like I, I, as clear as I saw it with, with my, you know, me in that Royals Jersey, I do that same process like psycho cybernetics that I learned with each of my pitchers. And, and it was you being at the top of that list is like, dude, he could be a frontline for anybody. Hmm. If I could bring this out in this kid, like kind of what I was doing with Zach and, Hochaver and some of those people that I started to learn how to do. If I could be the man and do it with you right now and be that kind of that veteran presence that I was kind of rolling into there, it just felt like it would look good on me selfishly, right? That I could jump on the backs of Ricky to, to pull this greatness out of them as a catcher should, you know, and that's their job. I, I knew that this was an opportunity that would, set me up for, you know, whether I was an all-star, that wasn't really on my mind. It was, if I can make this young staff, like how I'm going to leave Zach and Hoche and some of these guys, I may make a name for myself. Cause that was kind of going into a free agent here. I needed to establish. And yeah, like and I mentioned with, with Hosey being my, my backup, there's a lot. That's of what I was going to say. Yeah. Did. Our lineup, um, our lineup Beto that year, I think we had the first, not, I don't think in history, right. Or was it an MLB history or first 20? Yeah. I think so. History. Yeah history where it had we had like six or seven guys hit 20 or more home runs no, the whole lineup the whole lineup Starting the whole lineup. lineup all hit 20. yeah <clears throat> i have a bat where we all signed it all of them you do oh Freddie yeah lou even hit 20. Freddie lou. yeah we were all wow. that was the year they all thought we were had somebody out in right field Oh yeah, the guy in the in the Bautista, hotel. Because Bautista, yeah. Because that's when you guys had the hotel little, uh, giving signs. Little did they know, but it wasn't that though. It was Lyle Overbay was the best. So was Aaron Hill. They they weren't watching Lyle over there at first base or the guys on deck. I it was this system that I learned. They're all sit in here and watch video, and then after, during the game, it was the simple what kids are doing now, like. On your hands, stand up. If I walk into my lead, the good relay of signs, the traditional, the right way to the way you're supposed signs. to do it, the way you're supposed to do hey. it. They were the best. That was I, the best I, team I've ever been on. Beto, I always say this, dude. These guys, <clears throat> if I was facing them, and I knew what I knew about these hitters, I would have been like, dude, I'm skipping that start or something because <laughs> these guys were thieves. We were gangster at it. Well, here we you go. Right? Here are the numbers. Ready? In a good John way. Buck, your catcher, 20. Lyle Overbay, 20. Aaron Hill, 26. Shortstop Alex Gonzalez, 17. Edwin, 21. Freddie Lewis was hurt, so he only had eight. Vernon Wells, 31. Joey Bats, 54. Adam Lid, 23. And on the bench, Travis Steiner had 14. So maybe maybe that's maybe it was a lineup that I saw. Maybe it didn't have Freddie Lou. I just wanted to put Freddie Lou in there. So maybe maybe it was the Adam Lind hey, combo because Joey Batten, right? But when these guys, honestly, 
first base, second base, and you turn to a hitter in the bench, and they're like, got him. And you just see these guys like, oh, here we go, fall out easily. Oh, and we kept uh, – we, we, I remember homers and punchies. That was yep. our motto, homers and punchies. Hey, hey, Sean Markham even had an RBI that year, all right? Oh, Sean. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about uh, punchies? Those he's a, a gamer, homers. dude. Dude, he's a gamer, though. Uh, he had big old, big old cojones. Yeah, <laughs> that pitcher, he he competes, dude. Talk about a pitcher that was a crucial role. I don't know how his arm was even attached to his body. First and <laughs> foremost, that's the first wow factor. Is I saw this guy not literally not be able to wipe his ass, and then throw like seven shut pieces, <laughs> like after you get Miller, like like how are you gonna pitch tomorrow? Like I'll do something. We'll get it rubbed up. We got, you know, uh, he would somehow get it done and get it done convincing. That, that was a fun team, Beto. That was a, that was it, a very it seemed fun, like fun But you said homers and punchies. Do you want to hear how many punchies? Sure. How many? Let's hear it. Um, 111, 131, 104, 116, 144. Boom. Told you. I told you. Homers and punchies. As yeah. soon as we embraced it, it was like we were trying to do that. So it was like, oh, perfect. We're doing exactly what we want to do. We flipped that. You got to learn how to fail. Bro. And, and that was the learn year how to how fail. fail. That's the psychoanalysis you part. That, and that's the year that Bautista came into his own. Edwin was kind of starting to kind of turn the corner. Well, they were screwed with him. Yeah, and that's we right. We sent him down. Yeah, that's right. And I remember thinking, like, why the hell are we sending this guy down? Yeah, I don't care if he's hitting one hundred. It scares me. Even being on deck with that guy. Yeah, Edwin only had 360 at Under. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, they sent him down. They sent him down, and then I think Oakland claimed him. Came up like a – yeah. And then Oakland let him go, and then the Blue Jays claimed him again, and then they sent him down to AAA, and then he – and then, yeah, like they they messed with him. Then went off. Now he's ready. Now he's ready. You know know what helped him with that is uh, Bautista, where he kind of went through that with Pittsburgh, with Kansas City, and some teams. I think he was pretty instrumental in in having Edwin not – because having him come out of that good because having Joey Bats excel and be that mentor to him, I think that was probably – I saw Jake Jake Peavy, uh, my last big league camp with the Giants, and he still swore to the day that we were cheap. Yeah, it's because it's because I put him in the third deck. He's like, "Well, shit, if I'm getting homers to bump, they're for sure cheating." No, you just started to get flat, Jake. Sorry about it. You threw wait, hold, it in the loop. wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You threw it in the loop. Third deck. Told- oh yeah, go check it. I'm sure there's deep, some sort of highlight. Deep, you it's way up there. Way up there. Yeah, hey. opening night, dude. Down and in sinker. Boof. Yeah. Oh. Hair standing up still. Opening, <laughs> opening night, night. Oh, week. Opening yeah. week. Uh, he still swore. He told me. He came up to me and he's like, Ricky, we're teammates here. Be honest with me. Who was the guy giving you signs? And I was like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? He's I like, know, no. Dude, we in, he's like, we went and sat up there and we saw the guy. We talked to the guy. Dude, and it was, I, dude, I, dude, it was fun because as soon as we, they, people would come in, because, of course, being a catcher, you look for all that. You'd come in an early BP, and I'd see people out there looking, and then they would come up. You, We had an edge on people before we even started. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're in there. Every head. team was thinking about it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and I, remember, about it. I remember that weekend, that opening weekend you were talking about against the Chicago White Sox, where we hit PB yeah. really, really good. Um, and then like there was rumors that he was so mad that they were gonna start throwing at us. And I remember Vernon Wells kind of took the initiative as the leader of the team and actually went and spoke to Jake PB and was like, dude, no, like you guys better not start drilling us. Like we're not cheating, you know. And I think it kind of well, I think there's there's that there's that clubhouse, it's it's you can't measure it now because it's almost yeah. like you said, it doesn't that respect that ragging on the product that I think comes out of that <clears throat> is baseball has been good on it where it's policed itself because of yeah. veterans like Vernon guys like PV inside the clubhouse. Yeah. Outside of life, these men are different. <laughs> they can be different. There's yeah. its own rules and set of rules and, and set of respect inside a clubhouse. And I think when Vernon did that and something like that, it's, it gets policed pretty well because it was it was respected. I don't, you know. I of course even being an outsider coming in, I wanted to find out because I was calling games against uh, these suspicions as well and wanted to get in on the loop. Uh, but to be able to see that, and all I would say, you know, put out because say. well, Vernon stepped up a lot on that because that yeah. could have got because the rumors were, you know, always that Toronto did that, but I think Vernon. Being there as long as he, I think we would all know the secrets, and it's yeah, it's not, there's never been anybody. I'm trusting, oh, I was like, dude, we're, we're, we're sitting in fourth place, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it was a fourth place with 90 games won, too. Let's yeah, not mention that, like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Like, we had we, that was the year that, uh, because all I know is it was the best team I've ever been on, and somehow we were. Nowhere near playoffs. Like how? You know, yeah, that was the year that New York and who else was gangster that year? New York Tampa. And, was it Tampa had, Well, Tampa had that good pitching staff. That's um, right, Tampa. With, uh, 2010. Who won the the the? It was the Giants. They won the World Series. Who did they beat? They beat uh, Texas Rangers. The Rangers. Yeah, that's all right. Rangers were. That's right. The Rangers all the thumpers. But I was going to say. Go ahead, I was gonna, I, no, I was going to say. Yeah, that team was, dude. It was. You know, you add a few pieces here and there, it, it might be looking a lot different. But the the, the clubhouse. Well, I, the clubhouse part of it. I remember was, telling in Topless, I was like, dude, I would like to. I know JP's coming. I know, like maybe a one or two deal thing here yeah. maybe a year and i was even willing to give another year maybe do a solid one-year deal because i just felt like these guys are real close yeah like you guys as a unit knowing that i was kind of that filling gap guy uh but I, I you know just things that he wanted to do and money that i was about to get i think if i wasn't an all-star it probably would have happened and i think i just outworked it myself that was the coolest part too that year, man. Seeing you uh, be an all star for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, when when you kind of know when the way I knew you as a person and the hard work that you had put in to be rewarded as an all star. I mean, should I did it one year, and I'm sure for you, it's like it's it's like nobody could ever take that away from us. Like sitting in that clubhouse, being around fucking just legends, dude. The dudes, and I think the dudes, picture, yeah. I look at the picture, our team picture, and I'm like, holy shit, like. Yeah, like, I, feel this is, I'm like not, I don't belong with those men, but I did. 
And then they're the ones, because me, it was cool because it was the peer pick or, you know, the, the players kind of vote. So to have it, you know, to have that pick, it came with its own sense of pride. Like, all right, like I feel this way, but also all these men in here think the way I'm playing deserves to be here with them. So it felt, I mean, it, when, yeah, I get that feeling what you're saying. Let me ask you, when you walk into that clubhouse, who were you? I mean, obviously, you, you know all these hitters because you talk to them. But who were you like, in, yeah. like, like in awe of like, damn, I get to be teammates with this guy for for two days, you know, like or get to talk to. Like, well, I liked. I, I I don't know. I um, Joe Maurer was pretty cool, just because we had played against him so so long, and get to see everybody in the environment where they're the man, right? And you can imagine who the ones I'm talking about that are that way, or the ones that are very humble. Or the ones that conduct themselves, or Ichiro saying something funny like he always does, like to be a part of that and hear that, I was taking it all in. But Joe, I was really interested because I think he's a unicorn in my own position, right? Yeah. And and to have the amount of respect of playing against him so many years and to see that was fun to be able to be like, all right, I think you're an all star, and to be on the cell that year with him. Here we go. Plus his audio? Audio, audio. Oh, I think his thing is... Uh, his headphones dying? Can't hear you. Oh, man. I want to hear Ichiro's story. Oh! See, come back. it's Ichiro. Ichiro got us because I know he was going to tell an Ichiro story. And nobody's supposed to talk about Ichiro stories, right? It's like Fight Club. You don't tell Ichiro stories in the All-Star game about him <laughs> cussing everybody out in English. Is, is he, did he did he hang up? I think his his AirPods might have died. Let's see how he's calling back. We got there we now. go. All right, cool. Sorry. Hey, Sorry about I, was, that. I, don't, I don't know what I was, happened. I was going to say, didn't you come back and say a funny Ichiro story about him, like how the way he sits on his chair? Oh, it, no, when he comes up to that. Like, yeah, he sits on his chair like all like in a catcher squat. But when he comes up, you know how he comes up to bat and stretches and squats on his back, kind of sits there and does his little thing? But most people don't realize he's like moving as he is stretching. But I could, I can't count on both hands how many times he's farted on me and the umpire. <laughs> the guy has such good control of his entire body that I think he's doing some yoga breathing where he squishes all the bad air, and he always tells me, get the bad air out. So I'll be honest, <laughs> I've tried to do that. Just because, hell, if Atrio is doing it, I'm going to try to fart too because he gets hit every time. <laughs> and I know I've been a part of that on the bad end of it, a lot on both his end and the other end of the hit. So I, <laughs> I've tried to stretch like that. I'll go up there and twist and try to fart. If He, he does it. It's gotta work. That's middle Dude, midget one on one right is, there. Try everybody to... has an Ichiro story, and they're, you never hear their same story repeated. Everybody always has a new Ichiro story about this guy. It's fantastic. It's because every, every, everything he does is awesome, right? It's, <laughs> He's hilarious. And then yeah. the first time I walked into the Mariners clubhouse and I see him, I'm like, "Where's the rest of this guy? Like all skinny, frail." And then like you, this you seen him after the game. You know, we're interviewing him. His suits are tailored to the point. I'm like, he must have had like a size 28 waist or something, man. Like, just did not look like a like guy who's feared. He pulled his, he pulled his, like he gave me a bat. He pulled it out of a suitcase. Yeah. But he's, he, 
he's put together better than the rest of us humans. Let's just say that. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you this one really quick, Buck. Uh, and and before before we kind of wrap this up, one of my favorite games of my career, and you probably know which one it is, was this one with you oh, behind yeah. the dish. And I'm sure you remember yep. this game. Uh-huh. What was and the game? We are there we are uh it's in Chicago. No, no, no. No, it's not. New that's York. A home. That's a home. No, that's in New York. It's probably blurry. But it was the the weekend. Uh we threw a CG against the Yankees uh, against the Yankees that day. Oh, is that when you had your uh family was is that when your fa- was your family in New York? No, no, nobody was. Nobody was. Nobody. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I did too many foul balls, Ricky. I don't remember that. <laughs> it was a CG, CG against the Yankees. I, I've caught so many CGs in, in my day. <laughs> for, for me, and that was a. I think that was the weekend that A Rod was gonna hit. He was going for six hundred or something, and they were changing the ball. You, yeah. You caught, yeah. Or it was. It was. It was you who caught me my CG in New York. When, uh, when A-Rod's going for 600 like that, they have new balls every time he comes up the bat, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you were throwing yeah. those? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. man, fuck that. He ain't doing it against me. I said oh, no. Yeah, and then he did it. De- for sure. And then he for did it the sure. next day against Sean Marco. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I remember going to block that ball. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. Did- so do you know? Do you know? I have my podcast. The guy that was living with A Rod and and that the guy that did all this the steroid stuff for them. Yeah, yeah. I had him on my podcast. He did, and yeah. And when I asked him, because during that documentary, I'm going to block the ball when A Rod's doing that. Because during that, that's us, right? It was or is blue? It was because it was during that home run stint it's him how the kids kind of protected look at the catcher and i said that's me behind the plate because i was the one behind with sean markham trying to catch i remember going to block and i walked him through that i was like you cheated me like to the guy i was like i feel like you cheated me right because he was talking about how he got the protocol and he's just about the science he didn't really care about us right so i was trying to show kids like this guy will dudes out there that care about the science of this i'm like and he goes yeah i didn't ever think i'd have this phone call with somebody and so i got to kind of call him out on my podcast so check that screwball out is yeah. a show is a movie on uh, netflix screwball screwball correct and then yep. behind the dish podcast with uh john buck is where you want to hear those episodes yeah, you, you caught me cg the the night before we went we dealt that night dealt gave up a two run see the thing is with you you were always were on the front i remember always being on the verge of a seat like we had several that year yeah it dude. felt like at the, we were we were managing like all right ricky try to go a little after him so we can get a cg because we were all you were making so many strikeouts that it was always in the sixth seventh you were having to hand stuff off what i remember yeah. we were trying to our battle was trying to get to as many pitches so we didn't burn you up it was trying to <laughs> Lessen your pitches had, early in the count because we kept getting deep. But we had three no with three no com- runs, but it was yeah three complete games, and we threw two hundred and ten innings to get two hundred and ten. You don't even hear of two two hundred plus as many as much as uh, like no? it, it was like natural for us to do that. Like let's go to two hundred. We're going and it wasn't 200. that long ago. It wasn't yeah, it was that long bad. ago. 
Uh, John, let's wrap up with you here. You are uh, you're talking about mental strength, and in your podcast, Behind the Dish podcast, you talk with the guests about the mental fortitude these young athletes have to have. Uh, so what's some of the best advice you can give to these parents whose kids are playing 8,000 travel ball games a year, especially in Utah? I know they're starting to pop up all over all the facilities, but they don't for, they forget about how the mental side. You said earlier you were skiing, you were riding BMX, you were doing gymnastics, a bunch of other stuff. Best advice for parents who think that their kid's going to be the next A-Rod? Um, whether you think well, they're going to be the next A-Rod. Okay, the next – uh, put wait, no, not pudge. Uh, the next, the next athlete. Yeah, there you go. Boom, I like that. Uh, the the next Mike Trout's usually a clean way to go. <laughs> um, I think whether you're going to be that athlete, the next player or not, or you're not, the right way to have the car ride to the field. Your actions as a parent is just a. Even you're your being aware of your emotions and, and the things because you're going to feel it because you want it for them as a parent, but also taking more stock on your car ride home. So probably that pregame car ride to what your actions are doing when your kid looks at you and then that car ride home. There's a lot of development and learning and probably more importantly, learning how to prepare for a goal or competition or a performance, how we deal with it, and then the car ride home. I think – Hmm. learning how to like what people don't see is when we go into that clubhouse right away after getting my ass kicked with Ricky, why it hurts and it stings. We go over stuff. Like we go over it with, with no victim, not being a victim. Like, whoa, is me. He's like, no, Ricky, what do we got to do? Hmm. My bad. I'm, I know there's times I went to Ricky. That was my fault. You hit your pitch. I got to establish in more. If we do X, Y, and Z better, we'll get A, B, and C. Right. And why it's fresh. And then when we leave or walk into the house and engage with mom or brother or sister, or whatever, being able to really let it go because we've had the proper decompression. I think that's, that's key. I think we meaning me and Ricky or, or the elite, we did that so routinely. And so 162 games, 108 days, it became like clockwork for us. But I don't think that's talked about why we're able to do that where kids are playing a lot of games now, it's it's Fortnite on the way there, play when we're supposed to be de-stressing, getting yelled at by mom, dad, or the coach, and then on the way home, telling ourselves we suck with the dad confirming that, saying, yeah, you suck, you swung at a high pitch. I feel like that's, that's spiraling a lot of kids where it's leaving a lot of opportunities either before the game to prep your child to be consistent and also to prime themselves. Maybe they need to have a little more fun. That's your time to tell them. And then a post-game, structure it to where you're wanting to get the results and, and make sure you're using the right tools or seek out tools so you can have the relationship with your child even if he punches out with the bases loaded. Yeah. Is that all right? Is that good? I mean, yeah. Like, that's, it, yeah. That's, that's, my, that's my secret sauce. That's what I think parents need. That's what we like hearing from pro because we have a lot of parents who are watching and they think – like, you know, they get so caught up in what their kids are going to do. And then they realize that, hey, that 12-year-old doesn't need to be playing in a perfect game in Georgia every other weekend. Like, let, like let him ride a bike. But, if, but also, too, if he does, so because there's two schools, like, and finding real results and real, like, real impact for child. Say he does. Yeah. Having a process to do that and scheduling out, maybe that you don't. And when you don't, because you have gone the last two or three 
find out when you want to take a break and put in some rest and recovery. And so when you don't go, I say, get to higher ground. For me, it's go skiing, go mountain bike, downhill mountain biking, a create, do something in the zone or flow state that's outside the arena of baseball. Cause yeah. you're more than a baseball player. You're and so much more than a baseball player. That's, that's for me what I didn't understand when I, when, when I struggled in 2012. Um, you know, right. that's where I didn't, I didn't know how to separate, um, like, like Buck is saying here, what, what, like once I took off that uniform and walked out of that clubhouse, it was done. It was over with. And no, I carried it into the, my apartment, into going and having drinks, into going to dinner, feeling sorry for myself. I just didn't know how to, there was so much going on. I was trying to live up to a contract. I was trying to live up to the A status. I was trying to live up to so much that at the end of the day, I think it, it hurt me. It, it was just one of those things where. You know, and I'm sure you found yourself there too, Buck. Where where sometimes you, oh, yeah. you piece of shit. You know, you you're trying to live up to this to this money that 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 we were given, and, and it, things are not working out. And you're just like, fuck, I'm I'm in that video room. I'm putting in the work. Why is it not translating? And it mm. was like the the game just you know, at times just it just wasn't fun. You know, it just like all right, this this is not working out. Fuck this game. You know, and then uh, and then and then you see a little bit of success, and you're like. Okay, and then it just right back to where you started, you know. And it's like the game itself is already hard, and I think at times for me, I made it harder. And 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 it, when it should have been the complete opposite. I remember in 2012, you asked me, and and I always say this because I remember when you were in, in in Florida in Miami, and I came up to the plate, and you're like, "How are you doing?" I was like, "Fuck, man!" Like I'm 10 and one because that was right before the All Star break. I'm 10 and one, but I have like a four and a half ERA. And you're like, so. And 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 I couldn't get past that because I wanted. I'm like I'm ten and one, but I'm I'm getting been in the past. Yeah, and I'm getting lucky. I was like I'm getting lucky, man. I'm getting lucky. We talked before the game. I was like I'm getting lucky. Like this is not gonna last the way I'm going. And looking back at it, I'm like, dude, ten and one with the four. Who cares? Like I should have just rolled with it. But I was trying to get that ERA down. I was trying. Like everyone's like calling me lucky. Oh, he's getting all the run support. Well, then from that game. I did not win another one to my last start that year. And I went on the you, longest. You fulfilled your prophecy. It, yeah. you, that's how powerful you are. And that's, see, that's my thing. When I got you convinced in you, and when you were convinced and digging on you, like, think about how I came into the clubhouse, how I mm -hmm. had all those weird sayings that I would say to you, passing the wall or kudal or whatever we did. It was to re dopamine drip you of digging you on you. And I remember when you came up, I remember that. And I remember talking with you saying, who, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Like, you're about ready to dominate. You're about ready to do this. You're about where we get in this, that pregame, in-game, postgame. Here's Ricky telling you. He's telling you living through experience. If I would have had a structure to help me get back into the present, not in the future or the past, Ricky would have been the Ricky of old. It was, <laughs> it was that, I think, once he learned – how to deal with that that's that's why if ricky could throw right now he'd probably never never come off the mound that, oh dude i played catch yesterday and i was like i told carl i was like my wife i was like um my, i should make a comeback huh and she's like shut up <laughs> <laughs> that's what brooks said too i'm out here catching in the morning for the boys and <clears throat> i think i can it's like oh yeah these guys are nine never mind this might, yeah. I might not be able to take ricky's shit anymore but we get but we're gonna have to get you back on but and we're gonna have to do a mental health like breakdown yeah. with you like we got your story we got everything else but we got to get you back on pretty soon and i think it'll be just, really good and beneficial for parents to hear 
the there's mental so much, side of what you're saying. There's so much that I learned post my career. You know, yeah. now as a, a grown-up, as a an adult, not that I wasn't a grown-up before, but I was younger. I was immature. I didn't know we how to do it. You know, we were, yeah. But now we looking back, I'm like, fuck, a four and a half ERA is not bad. You know, yes, I wasn't living up to that, you know, $30 million contract that I was given, but shoot, like if I could have just kept winning, winning, who cares? You know, who cares? Like there's always getting, but I just wanted, I wanted everything to come together all at once. And, and it just wasn't happening. It, I was thinking three steps ahead while instead of taking care of business now. And and I learned that now. And I talk about that all the time. I, I, I talk with young athletes all the time to stay in the present. Like, who cares if you're struggling? Embrace these, embrace the struggle because the struggle is going to make you better. You're next, you're next at bat or your next game. Learn how to yeah. fail. Learn how to yeah. fail. And that's uh, we're going to have that at the Ricky Romero baseball camp Thanksgiving weekend. And Buck, you're going to hear, you're going to look. Yeah. Yeah. Rick. I don't want to put this kid on blast. I reached but- out to it how I saw this. I saw it on Instagram and I w- it was, you know, a late night. And I was like, hey, when is it? So yeah. I think that's coming. The 15th? Is that uh, what it is? The, oh, the 28th. The 28th. The deadline's this 28th. weekend. And what we do is it's a free camp. Uh, our group, it literally started with our group chat, Buck. And we're like, okay. oh, let's just do this. We told Ricky, you do like the reach out to your friend stuff. We'll do all the logistics behind the scenes. And it's a free camp for kids in East L.A. area, uh, high school kids. And we give them the instruction of how to apply for the NCAA clearinghouse, how to get financial aid, how like you're not going to go to a D1. You're not going to see UCLA because if you were, they would have already found you. But you have a 4.0. Why not apply to Dixie State or Southern Utah or, you know, those smaller schools that you can go and play somewhere, get out of your environment. And we have every kid write a paragraph of why I should go. And it's it, I like it. And all the people that are the instructors are current or former pros. Uh, just trying to tell the kids, like, this is exactly how you do it. So if you are listening right now, you have a kid at LA Unified, go to Ricky Romero Baseball Camp on Instagram. Check it out. It's cool. It's free. It's not like uh, those other showcases where you're paying 500 bucks and it's like, oh, you get two games. Now, this is real instruction. And you get a motivation from Ricky, the only kid from East LA to make it to the major leagues. So why not? Sorry about it. Sorry about <laughs> it. And, it, and, it's, and it's honestly, it's, it's very fulfilling. And we, had, we had it once, Buggy, and – Two years ago, right before COVID hit, we had one, and then last year we didn't have it, obviously. But, um, and like the the sense of like emotion and like, dude, every everything just came together the way it came together. It was cool. I'm not saying these kids are like, you know, like to see their faces and how happy they were to be there in the presence of not not myself, but like there's other guys, you know, Noe Ramirez oh, yeah. and Alan Trejo who made his debut this year, and and. Uh, and so many professional baseball players, not big leaguers by any means, but professional baseball players. To me, I'm like, I mean, what what's better than this? You're learning. Not every kid's gonna have crazy talent, but shoot, I didn't have crazy talent. You know, my my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year of high school. It's like there's steps that you got to go through. You, you got to get better, 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 and maybe we motivate one or two. And like Beto said, you know better than anybody, John. MLB baseball is not about D1 athletes. It really isn't. Like, there, yeah. you look at a roster, and there's high school kids. There's freaking D3 kids, D2 kids. and, and well, some, of those, some of those stories, you're like, your yeah. team from where? Who? Yeah. yeah. Know, probably yeah. More, more so than the norm of what you would think. Exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what we try to get through these guys' heads. Because nowadays, as you know, um, 
we get so caught up. Parents get so caught up in this. Oh, my, my kid's going to be got to go D1. He's got to go D1. And it's like, that don't mean shit. He can go D1. That's fine. But what if he sits for the next three years? That that There goes his career, you know, Correct. where you can go to a NAIA school, a D2 school, go make a name for yourself, get better. Somebody's going to find you. Trust me. If you're good Correct. enough, somebody's going to find you. And that's or just the way it on is. On the flip side, we also have it. Uh, hey, you have a 4.0. Why don't you go to MIT and uh, yeah. become the next GM? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're more than a baseball player. You're right. That's exactly what we have. So that'll be that. But yeah, uh, Brooke, we're going to have you on again pretty soon to get you that the mental well, side. He's really interested he in that. He, he, he might be interested. He's going to let me know. He might be interested in coming yeah. in. And, and oh, I might be able to come. Yeah, Dude, if fun. you do, the, the kids would love to hear that mental side of what they needed here because yeah. it, cool. they just need that, especially in the environment where they're at, where they're constantly told, you can't do this, you can't do that. Why not? Dream big. So, John Buck, follow him on Instagram, uh, John Buck44. Uh, his Twitter, he gave up on it four years ago, which is smart. Lucky man. Because uh, it's just a toxic, toxic world. <laughs> Boom. That's exactly right. I suck. So I didn't, I needed to learn how to suck. And it was no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if, if you get, for baseball equipment, he he has a whole line of baseball equipment that he sells, like these cool-ass bags, man. If it, Well, I, I actually uh, merged with uh, Lizard Skin. They oh. bought my patents because uh, I was part of Lizard Skin. Creating that it was made out of this batting cage, by the way. Buck Athletics was, and yeah. uh, so I sold all those to them. So and Lizard Skin, I think, just sold for fifty million. So apparently, I didn't get any of that, but I still get my little check for my bag. So <laughs> yeah, there, he's got some cool bags. They got some cool bags. They has got some cool stuff that you put your glove, so it keeps its form when you put it in your bag. Oh, I okay. use that in the big leagues all the time. I loved it. It's cool. Glove Guardian. Yeah, the glove yeah. guard. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, patents. That's when you know you're more than a baseball player. When you have a patent, yeah. we'll take care of that. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple. We'll entrepreneur. John Buck 44, your podcast is Behind the Dish. Go and check it out. It's on hiatus right now, but there's over 50 episodes on there. Uh, one of them also, Vinny Rock, uh, who we know, he was on your podcast. So a lot of good dudes. Uh, I actually listened to the Brett Tomko one a couple days ago. Good dude. So, yeah, we'll, yeah a good one. Behind the Dish. Go and check that out with him. And Buck Athletics on... If you were looking for any kind of information. So, John Buck, we'll talk to you soon. Ricky, talk Thanks, to you brother. in a bit. Appreciate we got a, we got a camera plan. Adios, guys. All right. See you, Rick.